And then there's the scene where he breaks his leg and, oh, well, looks like your leg's broken. Time to start over. And the whole time he's trying to find, no, 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 I'm I'm good. I'll stand just right up. (laughs) Welcome to episode 92 of the Movie Bite podcast, a show all about movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers, and more. We're recording on Wednesday, June 11th, 2014. I'm TJ, your host, and joining me today, coming to us from tomorrow, as he does the same day over and over and over and over again, it's Chad Cruz. I mean, Chad Hopkins. (laughs) How are you, Chad? Uh, I'm pretty well, and I can tell you ahead of time that this podcast goes really well. Oh, good. I'm glad to know that. I mean, you're not going to do anything to change change that course of action, I guess, I take it. No, no. I've already gone through it several times, and it's going to be perfect this time. Excellent. Well, using your <laughs> using your crystal ball there, or the, 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 the blood of the alien that's in you that causes you to loop through time, and, and the, the, you, you can probably tell me exactly what we're going to talk about today before we get to our review of Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, obviously. I mean, we're obviously going to start off with the How to Train Your Dragon 2 soundtrack talk again. Yes. And you're, you're <laughs> going to tell me how awesome it is. Yes, it is fantastic. I've been listening to it in the car, mostly, and uh, it's pretty good. I didn't Especially that first track. I don't know if you've uh, listened to the first film's music too much, which if you haven't, you should. Uh, but the first tracks on both soundtracks are pretty parallel, uh, except all the themes that you heard in the first one are developed even further and sound cooler in this one. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can put a little bit of music in here in, in post production uh, because I'm not wired for that sound uh, right now. But uh, I did get a chance to listen to a little bit of it. It sounds wonderful. That was one of the highlights of the first film was the music um, mm-hmm. by John Powell, and yep. uh, he's back to do How to Train Your Dragon Two, and the, tra- the soundtrack is available. Uh, I've got a link to iTunes in the show notes, which you'll find at moviebyte.com/mbpodcast/ninety-two. Uh, so yeah, I um, I haven't had a chance to listen to much of it. I, I tried to listen to a little bit of it at work, um, and then I just today was a really kind of a, a day where I wasn't able to listen to a lot because I kept interacting with a lot of people, you know. So yeah, uh, it's kind of one of those days. But uh, yeah, I mean, um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the film, and the music sounds great from what I can tell. So yeah, John Powell's a great composer, and you know his score for the first one got him his first Academy Award nomination. So um, the second one's just as good. By my estimation, at least. What all has John Powell done? He did the original Bourne trilogy. He did he do all three? Yes. Um, Um, Okay. He also did the first Shrek film with Harry Gregson Williams, and he did the two Kung Fu Panda movies with uh, Hans Zimmer. Okay. Oh, he did Hancock, which I don't remember the score for at all. He did X Men: The Last Stand. That does not make me like him any better. The music is the best of any of the X-Men films, I promise. Okay, I, I mean, I'll have to trust you on that. I, mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just, because the X-Men, The Last Stand is just such a bad film, I just can't, I just can't trust you on this. I mean, you should just look up the music and watch it, or listen to it, blind of the film, and I think you'll enjoy it. All right, so yeah, I'm, I'm seeing the Bourne. So I knew he did the Bourne stuff. Uh, Excellent last stand. I'll have to forgive him for. Uh, oh, he did I, the two uh, Rio films. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which, you know, the music on both of the films is great. Even if I didn't like the second film as much. Yeah, I think his real strength is obviously animated films, but I really like the Bourne soundtracks as well. So. Well, yeah, it's very iconic that first Bourne score for sure, and that uh, 
uh, you know, that kind of that sound that he gave it. Um, there's a Piano Guys uh, track, too, that kind of riffs on that that I really uh-huh. love. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of the Piano Guys. I'm sure you have. I have. I actually <laughs> found their, their CD in the Target the other day. Oh, nice. Yeah. Almost bought it. Yeah, you know, none of the guys in my office where I work have heard of the piano guys before. I was, and sh- I was shocked. Really? I mean, and we work on the internet. I mean, what is this? <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> uh, anyway, so how to train your round, uh, how to train your soundtrack? Yes, that was what I meant to say. How to train your Dragon Two soundtrack, um, or how to train your soundtrack, whatever, whichever you prefer. Uh, that is in the show notes, and it is highly recommended from what I can tell. And you've listened to a lot of it, more of it than I have, and you, you highly recommend it as well so find that in the show notes um and we're looking forward to reviewing that film next week unfortunately you won't be with us for that but uh no but i will be seeing both films in the theater tomorrow uh i i never saw the first one in theater so i'm really looking forward to it oh nice yeah i haven't seen the first one in theaters either and i'm not going to get a chance to do that but uh the second one i am looking forward to i'm going to be reviewing that with clark so i'm sure you'll be tuning into that podcast yeah uh, that episode so all right, well, let's move on to some more news uh, that you've already foreseen and know about and have been through and talked about already, uh, and, and, yep. and that is uh, Guillermo, <laughs> Guillermo del Toro is working on Pacific Rim 2 with uh, Zach Penn. Uh, according to Angie Han over at Slash Film, Legendary Picture CEO Thomas Toll has said that he's in no big hurry to make Pacific Rim 2, but, um, but make no mistake, Guillermo del Toro is working on it. Only now, he's working on it with Zach Penn, who penned X-Men The Last Stand... Speaking of, speaking of, uh, rather than the original writer, Travis Beecham. And, uh, and my comment I made on this article was, Ooh, he worked on X-Men the last stand. Well, I feel so much better now. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I haven't mentioned this yet. Um, cause I still haven't seen days of future past. I know bad chat. <clears throat> I just, I just spit out the water I was drinking. You. What now? <laughs> wait, whoa, wait, what a minute. What am I, why am I doing a podcast with you? What is this? I, I know. I'm sorry, TJ. <laughs> just time 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 but, but I'm, anyway. I'm running on literally like uh, 12 hours of sleep over the last two days but okay <laughs> i understand um, but uh, this isn't going to make you feel any better what i'm about to say i did not think that the last stand was as bad as people keep putting it up to be see and i that's, think I, I did not love it granted no it's definitely by far the worst of the original three but i don't think it was as bad as you or uh, other people have put it up to be and I think that's that's part of the power of suggestion or persuasion where you go it's, it's kind of like when it's maybe the opposite effect of the power of low expectations where you go into a film not expecting much and you enjoy yourself more than you expected and so it kind of raises the you know it lowers the bar and the movie gets above the bar you, you see what I'm saying right in this case I lowered the bar really low and then it was above that bar for you and and, uh-huh. and you, you you guys know me you know i'm <laughs> i'm not prone to exaggeration by any stretch of the imagination <laughs> not at all <laughs> <laughs> i have no opinions and i and i don't know how to express myself um it's, it's a problem i'm working on uh so i think that i've probably overstated my case and and that has made you um unfortunately like x-men the last stand better than you should um <laughs> I, I mean because because frankly i don't know if i have rated this film anywhere or not but off the top of my head i would say it's probably two and a half stars i'd probably put it two and a half or three i wouldn't like say it's stellar but it just wasn't god awful yeah well, <laughs> i mean with this the epitaph of the movie is like it wasn't awful <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be on the movie's <laughs> tombstone. <clears throat> that works for me. 
Anyway, so so Guillermo del Toro is working on Pacific Rim 2 with the writer of X-Men The Last Stand, and I am just not sure what to think about that. I liked Pacific Rim uh, well enough, and uh, hopefully hopefully he will do better than X-Men The Last Stand. <laughs> Has he written anything else to redeem himself? Like, you know, that that's a, sounds familiar. That's a really good point. Uh, and Looking one him I, up. I probably should have looked him up before I writ- wrote the piece, but I've, I've been so busy over the last couple of days. Um uh, Zach oh. Penn, writer, Pacific Rim Two, The Karate Kid Two, The Avengers story. Uh that's weird. Yeah, he apparently also wrote the story for X Two. Okay, well that's that's good. So it it really was a director thing, I think, and 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 a studio thing with with X Men: The Last Stand. Yeah, so that's weird. Okay, so Zach Penn did the story, and Joss. Okay, so Joss Whedon only wrote the screenplay of the Avengers. I, say, I thought Joss Whedon wrote the Avenger, uh, the Avengers, but. Uh, and we know he heavily influenced it. So anyway, that's Zach Penn. Uh, so anyway, I knew I'd heard that name somewhere. So it, it's good to see that he's at least redeemed himself a little bit. <laughs> right. Well, again, <laughs> I, I really feel like it was a directorial issue with X Men: The Last Stand. Not, yeah. Not nearly as much, although a little the writing. I, I just like question the whole path they went down, but but mostly directing. Yeah. So. Uh, anyway, we should move on to this okay. other piece that I want to talk about. Um, I've, we've talked about before on the podcast. I think it was you and me, anyway, about yeah. uh, the Alamo Draft House and how. And in fact, I know it was you and me. Uh, I, I, I get confused about who I've had on the podcast when because you know we've had so many people on the podcast and now and, and you know you've only been with me for what two or three episodes, <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Anyway, uh, so we've <laughs> talked about the Alamo Draft House before and how much I would love to have one of these in the Nashville area because of their policies uh, for um, cell phone talking and texting and and you know just general movie etiquette that you would think should be. Uh, I don't know. Understood. Normal people would understand that you just don't text. I, I, I don't. I, I forgot to mention this, and I don't even remember which film it was now. But I was in the theater, um, uh, the other, you know, for one of the films that we were reviewing, and two people, not one, but two people, one on either side of me, and in the row directly in front of me, were on their phones the entire time texting with That's somebody. Awful. It was awful. So one would maybe put their phone down for a minute, and the other one would pick it up, and and they were not dimmed. <laughs> their screens were not dimmed. They were. I didn't hear any noises, at least, but it was very distracting and very frustrating. So my point imagine. is that I really like the Alamo Draft House policy on these sorts of things, and really wish that I had one I could patronize in my area. Unfortunately, we don't. So now, according to Angie Han over at Slash Film, Alamo Drafthouse bans Google Glass during movies. Uh, but this is for different reasons. Typically, Alamo Drafthouse they they ban you know they ban texting because it's distracting. This is for piracy reasons. Uh, Tim uh, Tim League uh, announced on Twitter that Google Glass is officially banned from at Drafthouse auditoriums once lights dim for trailers. Um, so. And, and the, the the article, which I'll link to in the show notes, goes on to explain it's really for piracy concerns. And I, and I get that, right. but we've talked about this before, Chad, where a guy who had Google Glass and he had prescription lenses in his glasses so that he could – and he had to wear the prescription lenses in order to see the movie – um, was was dragged out and questioned by authorities you know, about the Google Glass. So uh-huh. I feel like this is a little bit different. I'm not quite sure what to make of it. What, what are your thoughts? I don't know. I think – that story that we had talked about previously uh, in which a man was treated like a criminal because because of his Google glasses, mm-hmm. that's different than it is here because here at least it's policy, you know. There it was sort of an unwritten thing where they, they, they 
criticized him for what he was wearing after the fact. He he didn't know that it wasn't that it was going to be an issue that he'd be wearing his Google glasses that day. Right. But I think if it's outlined in the policies, along with the no cell phones, if you go to Alamo Drafthouse Cinemas, you cannot wear these. You cannot put these on your face if the movie's running. I mean, it. it I think it's it makes sense, and I don't think it's bad. What do you think? I see. I don't know. And the, in the article, did talk about how um, that, that there was there would be exceptions for uh, people with prescription lenses in their Google Glass, and it would be evaluated on a case by case basis. Um, he, he, in fact, let me just read this. The Alamo Draft House is revered by cinephiles as part of its zero tolerance approach to talkers, texters, and other rude patrons. However, since the Google Glass ban is only about privacy piracy concerns. Uh, League acknowledges that the chain would uh, could make exceptions for patrons with prescription lenses. It will be a case by case, but if it is clear when they are on, clear when they are off, we will likely be or will likely be okay. He tweeted. Um, uh-huh. So, um, I mean, we've talked about piracy a lot on the show before, and frankly, uh, I think that anybody who watches a pirated movie that was pirated by the use of cell phones or or Google Glass or anything that is not uh, anything of that quality. It just is stupid. Like, why would you right. do that? I don't want to watch a movie like that. You, uh, no, I would. I am not tempted in the slightest to pirate a movie that way. That's it's, like watching Gravity on one of the old iPods. Yeah, no kidding. I just <laughs> I don't get it. You know, it's going to be shaky and jittery, and the sound's going to be awful. And I just, I don't want it. And I, I, I don't understand why people would want that. And 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 frankly, I think that the people who pirate movies that way, they really are not in the in they're not in it to go see movies in the theater anyway. And I don't think that this is an issue that they need to really be dealing with. It's, I don't think they're going to increase their sales by a substantial amount and increase their ticket sales or increase any you know their profitability by doing this and all they do is make people mad with their attempts to to curb piracy. Right. So that's I think that's where I'm approaching this from is just why it's not bothering anybody else in the theater. And it's just kind of weird. I don't know. At the same time, um, it's not ever going to affect me because I'm an old man, apparently, and I'm never, ever, ever going to wear Google Glass ever. Uh, yeah. I'm uh, also, get off my lawn. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just it's awful. Like, why would you wear that thing? I don't want. I I love my devices. I love my iPhone. I love my computers. But I want to be. I don't want to be connected to it in that way. So <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but I'm I'm a little annoyed on behalf of Google Glass owners. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I I see both sides of the argument. For me, I I think if it's policy, and people know, hey, we. we we're going to Alamo Draft House. Let me grab my other pair of glasses. Yeah, and well, I, I'm glad to hear the guy say that exceptions will be made for prescription lenses because what if that's the only pair of glasses you have? And I'm just, right. I, again, I don't understand why you would do that. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, my glasses, I don't want to be attached to some technology like that. And I do wear glasses, you know, 24-7. Well, anytime I'm awake. So, right. um, you know, yeah, I whatever. <laughs> I think I interrupted you. Did I? I don't think so. Okay. I think you're good. Okay, so that's the Alamo Draft House. Um, we wanted to talk a little bit about a couple of uh, trailers here. Um, actually, it was just one. I, w- I was going to put another trailer in the show notes, but I wound up not doing that. So really, just the Box Troll uh, trailer. So let's talk about that. Have you have you seen this one? I watched about half of it earlier. Um, I, I don't know what to think about it. I really um, don't either. 
I never saw Coraline, so I can't really use that as a comparison. And yeah, the only thing I can use it as a comparison against is Paranorman, which I really didn't like. So... Yeah, Paranorman didn't really look like my thing, and it was one that I decided to skip. Um, yeah. and, and this is certainly in that same style. Um, it's very stylized animation in, in a way that I, I, I don't know. It's just very, like weird proportions and, you know, in, in a way that's just doesn't, I don't find that attractive. Um, yeah, I mean, not, it's, it's grotesque is what it is. That's yeah. sort of the way it, it's styled. Yeah, it, it's, it's you know, I think I had the same complaint somewhat in a, in a different way, in a different style, but the highly stylized out of proportion, di- you know, dimensions and dynamics of, uh, of, uh, uh, what's that dog movie? Sher- Sherman. Oh, Frank and Weenie. Nope. Wait, dog movie. Uh, oh, uh, Sherman. I know what you're talking. Man, that's um, horrible. I liked it too. Well enough. I just can't recall. Mr. Peabody and Mr. Sherman. Yes. Mr. Boom. Peabody and Sherman. Yes. There you go. Thank you. Your mind is younger <laughs> and sharper than mine. Um, yeah, but I, 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 in the same, in a similar way, at least the complaint is similar that I, I didn't like the kind of the animation style. This, this is much more grotesque and, and out of proportion in a way that it's much more displeasing to me. Right. Um, and in addition, like the story just, it hasn't really captured me yet. And I know a lot of people are going on about the box trolls trailer and, and you know, they really think it's going to be good. And I don't know. I, you know what it is? It feels a little, um, uh, Tim Burton esque. Um, who's direct, yeah. who's directing this movie? Um, I think it might be this. Well, I don't know. Never mind. I was going to say something that I don't know anything about. Let's look this up. Uh, gr- directors Graham, Annabelle, and Anthony Stachi. Um, uh huh. So I'm, I'm just looking to see if Tim Burton is involved before I, you know, get in trouble here. Let me look. Up. Well, I think you can trace back like the lineage of the people working on it to Nightmare Before Christmas, which is uh connected is affiliated with Tim Burton but it's not excuse me it's not his film. Yeah, so um Yeah, so so I'm just looking here at the list of stuff that Tim Burton has produced, you know, a Frankenweenie, Corpse Bride, um, you know, Batman Forever of course, uh Batman Returns uh-huh. and then looking at his directing credits, he did, he directed Frankenweenie, Alice in Wonderland, Corpse Bride. I feel like the Box Trolls is very much in this kind of thing you would expect to see from uh yeah. from from tim burton and, yeah i mean it is very tim burton-esque especially if you compare it to nightmare before christmas yes and and i've just never been attracted to much of what tim burton has done uh yeah there's a few things here and there that he's done okay with um you know, he produced uh he produced abraham lincoln vampire hunter that figures um, <laughs> which i never never got to see although i thought in some ways it looked like it could be fun uh, weird, you know, Tim, Bur- <laughs> Tim Burton. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I just don't know what to think about the box trolls. Uh, this trailer I think maybe is the best that I've seen so far and I'm still just not interested in it. Well, it's um, the first real trailer we've gotten, you know, previously, I think we've gotten more teasers than anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah this yeah. is the first one that sort of hints at a story. Yeah, that's true. There's, and there's definitely more story here for sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, to be fair, both Coraline and uh, Paranorman do have pretty solid critic rankings over at Rotten Tomatoes. It's just, mm. I, I never, I did not like Paranorman. There was something about it that just did not sit well with me. Um, and like I said, I haven't seen Coraline, so. Yeah. Yep, well, uh, we'll so that's, that's the Box Trolls trailer. Neither of us are really looking forward to it that much. <laughs> Let's move on to one that I'm also not sure what to think about, and that is Sony is making a Sonic the Hedgehog movie, Chad. 
Uh, are you a Sega fan or a Nintendo fan or other? More Nintendo than Sega. So you, uh, I'm trying to figure out because I grew up in the eighties and I had the original Nintendo. You, you grew up more in the nineties. Yes. Uh, in fact, uh, may I ask what year you were born? 92. 92. There you go. So you did grow up in the nineties. I was born in 82. You were born in 92. What, mm-hmm. what consoles did you grow up with? PlayStation and Game Boys. That's so, so I, weird. Yeah. And, uh, you know, eventually I got the original Xbox and I got the GameCube. So okay. and GameCube was Nintendo's thing. Yeah. 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 I, and I, I had a few Sonic games for Nintendo. Yeah. See, when you came and see when I was growing up, uh, Sonic and Nintendo did not play nicely together. Sonic right. was on the Sega Genesis and Nintendo had Mario and, and never the twain should meet uh, when, when I was growing up. And that, right. that changed later as I was getting out of video games and uh, yeah. just, you know, I, I was interested in them, but I just, until more recently, I have revived my interest in, in video gaming, uh, at least with Mario. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I did enjoy, even though I was a Nintendo, I had a Nintendo console, um, I did enjoy uh, Sonic the Hedgehog when I would go to friends' houses who had Segas, and I had to admit that because the Sega Genesis came a little after the original NES, uh, that the graphics were better, you know, and and things like that. And I did enjoy Sonic the first one. I've not played the others very much, uh, uh-huh. so that's kind of my background. I know he's he's like really exploded, especially since he's come to Nintendo consoles and stuff, and he's been in Super Smash Brothers and and all kinds of stuff. And Sonic is a very popular character now, and they play play nicely with Nintendo, and, and it's all it's all fun and games. <laughs> see, what <I> <laughs> see what I did there? Um, yeah. <laughs> so this is according to Angie Han over at Slash Film again uh, at Slash Film who. Uh, says that Sony is making a Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Uh, Hollywood's track record with video game adaptations is spotty at best, but video games are well-known properties with wide name recognition and built-in followings, so there's always going to be someone willing to try and buck that trend. Today, that someone is Sony and producer Neil Moritz, and the production and the project in question is a Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Uh, so what do you, what do you make of this? I mean, I, I really don't know, like, like what, what the heck are they going to do? I mean, this feels really, this feels like maybe you should make a kid's TV show out of it, but a, a movie yeah. really? Well, there, there was a kid's TV show out of it when I was, so, when I was a kid at Sonic, least. Sonic, really? But, I mean, I've, I used to yeah. watch the Mario shows, believe it or not, awful. Yeah. Sounds, but, but, um, <laughs> Mario's a video game, not a TV show. It's stupid. Right. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, it really feels like you could make a, a kid's TV show out of Sonic, but a movie, really? I don't yeah, know. I, mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. Is is this? I mean, hopefully, it'll be all am- animated. I mean, I don't want them to pull a Smurfs. Oh, I would expect it to be. I would expect it to be. I I think maybe this is happening because of Wreck It Ralph, which yes, it was a video game movie, but it was different. It wasn't a video game movie. It was a no. movie about video games and a video game character that we didn't even know of before. Um, and, and this just feels like cashing in on that to me and and that's never a good sign. Yeah. Maybe a little bit. Mm. That's strange. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not a huge Sonic fan. Never. I mean, I I own a few of the games. I I think I had the, the big reboot that they made quote unquote for the Xbox 360 and I never really liked it very much either. So, yeah. Oh, wait. Um, I may have missed, uh, Live action. So somebody in the comments of this article is saying, why is this a CGI live action hybrid? Just make it an animated uh, feature. I didn't see that anywhere in the article. So I don't know where they're getting that. Oh, it does. It's in the 
Is it THR okay, reports? I was just going to say, I didn't click through to the THR one, so. Well, I didn't click through, but in that paragraph, it says THR reports that the Sony and Moritz are teaming oh. with Marza Animation Planet, a Japanese film production company, and the division of the Sega Sammy Group for the CG slash live action hybrid feature. Uh, this, sounds, uh, this sounds terrible. This sounds terrible. I'm trying to picture a live action Dr. Eggman, and it just does not work. No, 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 no. 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 Mm-mm. Okay. Mm-mm. Yeah, I've, I've written this off. Yep. Gone. Done. <laughs> Speaking of movies that you might want to write off, one more bad movie. This is, this is the podcast where we talk about bad movies, Chad. Yes. Disney. Disney is, if you can believe this, because Disney does not, pro, you know, cash in and capitalize on their on their franchises. Disney Never. is launching a Lion King sequel TV series called The Lion Guard. Are you excited, Chad? Are you excited? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just going to be made for TV, at least, I guess. I guess. The Lion King is giving birth to a, see what they did there, to a new <laughs> small screen franchise. Two decades after the original film hit theaters, Disney Jr. announced today that it is planning an animated series titled The Lion Guard, which will first launch as a made-for-TV movie. No, thanks. No. Nope. No, no I, thanks. I'm good. Maybe, maybe kids will like it, but uh, as... I don't know. I was I wasn't even a, categorized as a kid when the first one came out. Mm. I, I was two. Yeah, you probably weren't too much too interested in the film at that point. Mm-mm. I own it on VHS somewhere, or at least I did. But uh, I own it on Blu-ray 3D now. So. Yep, not interested. Don't care. <laughs> you like the first one though, right? The oh original? sure, yeah. The Lion King is great. Um, Good. You know, Jeremy Irons as Scar it will always hold a special place in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> and Matthew Broderick as Simba. Yay. Well, and don't forget James Earl Jones as, uh, y- you know, as, uh, what was his name? Uh, Musafa. Mufasa. 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 Where did I get that? Mufasa. Mufasa, Mufasa, Mufasa. Scar, drop him. <laughs> Impeccable yeah. timing, your majesty. Let's just quote the Lion King for the rest of the show. Okay, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> you caught me off guard. Um, gonna be a mighty king. Okay. No one. More. Okay, we're moving on. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> well, Chad, we're here to talk about, and, and and you've already done this day, so you already know that we're here to talk about Edge of Tomorrow. What I am about to tell you sounds crazy. <gasps> You have to listen to me. Your very lives depend on it. Can I help you, sir? What day is it? For you, Judgment Day. You just came in with the fresh recruits. 30 seconds to drop! A new day, people. Destiny call. Haven't you ever been one of these before? Maybe. My safety. How do I turn the safety off of my weapon? Come find me when you wake up. It's a new day, people. Who said you could talk to me? You did. Tomorrow, at the beach, we meet. You do know what's happening to me. We are fighting an organism. They have the power to reset the day. And now so do you. It's a new day, people! 
How do I control it? You have to die. Every day. I'm not even trained for combat. So, Edge of Tomorrow came to theaters uh, on June the 6th, 2014. It had a budget of $178 million. It opened to a measly $35.4 million, and the total worldwide gross is $146.4 million, which is very unfortunate in my opinion. Uh, yeah. Rotten Tomatoes well, – oh, go ahead. It, it didn't help that it was fighting against teenage angst yeah. and uh, the Faulkner stars. So. Yeah, well, yeah. So Rotten Tomatoes critical acclaim says that gripping, well-acted, funny, and clever Edge of Tomorrow offers entertaining proof that Tom Cruise is still more than capable of shouldering the weight of a blockbuster action thriller. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, Director uh, Doug Lyman, writers uh, Christopher McQuarrie, Jez Butterworth, and John Henry Butterworth. Starring Tom Cruise as Bill Cage, Emily Blunt as Rita Ratchaski. (laughs) My tongue is all tied. Brendan Gleeson, a.k.a. Professor Moody, as uh, General Brigham. Uh, Bill Paxton as Major Sergeant Farrell. Uh, Music by Christoph Beck. What else has he done, Chad? You're the music guy. Uh, Christoph Beck. He recently did Frozen. um, Okay, yeah, that's right for the name. And he did – remember the Paper Man short? uh, Short film? I do. I wasn't as excited. He wrote the music for that. I wasn't as excited about it as a lot of people, but yeah. But the music in that is great. Yeah, Um, yeah, probably so. And um, I don't really remember it. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what else. I don't know if I have a lot of Christoph's. Chris, oh, he did the Muppets, both Muppets movies, the newer ones. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's see. I'm, I'm actually looking him up here. Um, he sort of looks like Guillermo del Toro, doesn't he? Does he? Just a little bit. Just a little. Not even like you can tell him apart, but I don't know what he looks like. So he did R.I.P.D. Uh, the Muppets, as you said. Yeah. So. Uh, I've I've heard the name, so he's he's getting around a little bit. So let's talk about the story here a little bit, Chad. Okay. An alien race has hit the Earth in an unrelenting assault, unbeatable by any military unit in the world. Major William Cage is an officer who has never seen a day of combat when he is unceremoniously dropped into what amounts to a suicide mission. Killed within minutes, Cage now finds himself inexplicably thrown into a time loop, forcing him to live out the same brutal combat over and over fighting and dying again and again. But with each battle, Cage becomes more. Cage becomes able to engage the adversaries with increasing skill alongside Special Forces warrior Rita Vratasky. Wow. Vratasky. <laughs> and as Cage and Vratasky uh, take the fight to the aliens, each repeated encounter gets them one step closer to defeating the enemy. And I have like a, uh, a, a thing with that name, don't I? You do. It's terrible. Vertasky. Vertasky. There we go. Okay. <laughs> okay, Chad. Chad. Yes. Did you DJ. like this film? I thought it was great. Okay, good. We're done here. You ready to just go button it up? Yeah. Let's call it quits. <laughs> <laughs> no, this was a this was a fantastic film, I thought. Um Yeah. Qu- uh, quite a good film. Um it's an early contender for some top spots in the uh in 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 my t- uh 2014 2014 uh films. I can't believe I just said 2014 cuz I hate doing that. Um <laughs> so for my 2015 uh 2014 films uh but there's there's still a few films that are going to be coming out this year, so it may be too soon to call that, but uh yeah, it's I still, really liked uh, it. Pretty high praise from you, Chief. Yeah, it was really good. I I did. You know what this forced me to do, Chad? It forced me to upgrade my star rating. Finally, I've been I've been flirting with this idea for a while, going back and thinking back about uh, Captain America: The Winter Soldier and just how good it was and how much I want to revisit that. And 
and and I I just I it forced me to upgrade my star rating on the Winter Soldier so that I could give this one a star rating <laughs> that would not that would still put the Winter Soldier a little bit above it. Wow. Um, I I really like this film. Cool. Um It's uh, have you seen Minority Report? No, I haven't. <sighs> what are we gonna do with you? I mean, how how can you properly review a Tom Cruise sci-fi film without having seen Minority Report? I, I just don't, don't know. I just don't know how, <laughs> how, how this is going to work out, Chad. The I, same way you can review Godzilla without having seen any older Godzilla films. I guess. But it, 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 I just don't feel like that's that's quite the same. That doesn't feel the same <laughs> to me. That does not feel at all the same. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> okay. Well, um, so Minority Report uh, is 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 uh, Tom Cruise being Tom Cruise, where he is the hero all the way through. And yes, he has some issues in Minority Report. He he has um, a drug addiction in Minority Report. He he's not a, a perfect guy, but he is the hero, the consummate hero in Minority Report. He does what is necessary, whatever it takes to 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 secure the world. And and he in the beginning of the of the Minority Report he is kind of off track and what that looks like and then so the rest of the film is him rectifying the situation where he was before you know he basically he changes sides um, uh-huh. you know he because he, he was trying to find the truth and he found the truth and the truth was that the uh, future predicting technology was not enough evidence to actually convict someone with uh, that's that's kind of Minority Report and and that's essentially you know it's Tom Cruise being Tom Cruise. I mean you very rarely get Tom Cruise who is um, wimpy and vulnerable and uh, doesn't know what he's doing and needs to be trained. You you, you don't usually get that no. uh, with Tom Cruise. This movie gave us that Chad. This movie <laughs> gave us a Tom Cruise who was a wimp who blackmailed a general to get out of fighting. Um, who didn't know what the heck he was doing, who got killed multiple times because of his ineptness uh, with, right. with the suit that he was put in. That's what this film gave us in Tom Cruise. Uh, and I, I actually found that to be a refreshing change of pace for Tom Cruise. What did you think? Yeah, it, it's nice to have him not automatically step into a situation knowing what to do. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I, I really, and, and you know, kind of what that did is it elevated Emily Blunt to uh, a very serious co-star status. In some ways, I feel like she's the anchor of the film, even though we're following Tom Cruise through the time looping, she is the one with the, the training and, and the, the one you're kind of drawn to and, and the one, you know, you, you, I mean, I really liked her. Um, yeah. for me, I don't know if this is true for everybody else to, to, to me, her breakout role was Looper. Where I yeah. knew that this is this is this girl is going places, uh, you know she's uh, she's she's really good, and 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 I think this film just really confirms that for me. Like I want to see more Emily Blunt films. Yeah, honestly, I think these are the only two films that I've seen her in. Oh, um, me, too. Other, me too. Other than her cameo in the Muppets, <laughs> right? <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Not really, I suppose not. But yeah, yeah. I, I definitely want to see her in more films, and I'm I'm sad that I haven't seen her in in more films. Yeah, um, I mean, uh, I wouldn't call Looper a drama, but her role in Looper was more of a dramatic role than an action role. So it was nice to see that she could do just as well in both. Yeah, absolutely. Although I'd be interested to know why you wouldn't call Looper a drama. No, well, it is, but it, it, it's it got a strong action element to it in which she doesn't really take part. That's, That's true. Um, and she and she certainly is more of a dramatic character in that way. You're right. Um, although she takes part in a little bit of the action. But... Um, yeah, I I really liked her in Looper. Liked her a lot here. 
the the um, initial title of this film was the same title that the that of the property that it, it's based on, which is "All You Need Is Kill." Uh, it's right. it's interesting that they change the title to "Edge of Tomorrow." It 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 feels more Tom Cruiseier to call it <laughs> "Edge of Tomorrow." Like Tom Cruise stars in "Edge of Tomorrow," you know. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I kind of like the title "All You Need Is Kill" better. Um, yeah. because that really better describes, I guess, exactly what's going on here. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to remember why they changed the name because uh, I remember hearing it called all you need is kill for a long time. Oh, I'm sure it plays better because most people, uh, in fact, I had an initial, um, I suppose a little bit of a, like, a, what is that? All you need is kill. I, I don't know. <laughs> that's kind of weird. And then I read about it. I'm like, Oh no, 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 that sounds good. But I, I suspect it's because of the initial gut reaction to it, even though I kind of like the name better knowing, uh, you know, what the film was, um, I think that I don't think it would, I, just, I just don't think it would play quite as well to audiences, and I feel like they thought they would get you know better press and and people would be more drawn to it. Yeah, that and, would and make Edge sense. Tomorrow, it kind of has more of a wistful, hopeful. It's you know you're on the cusp of something big, kind of a, a sound. I don't know. Yeah, and Edge almost makes it sound like it's the end, like it's uh, I don't know how how to take that further, but it's it's the end. Like this is it. This is our chance. This is the edge of. What may be tomorrow or what may not be if we don't make this happen, if we don't make this work, you know? Right. You know, and, and the plot here is not it's, it's not one that we've never seen before. I mean, think Groundhog Day. Um, yeah, it's very much Groundhog Day. But it's done, I think, in a, in a special kind of unique way. You know, a lot of times what can happen, uh, you know, I've seen it happen where these sorts of plots get a little bit old. And, and you know, especially if you're repeating the same day over and over, if, if that's not handled really carefully, it can feel very drab and it can feel like, ugh, Come on, you're just showing us the same things over and over again. This film kept up the energy where you never felt like you were repeating something, even though you were. And when it, when, it, when you did repeat something, it was done in a funny way where you saw Tom right. Cruise kind of going, oh, you're going to say this now. You're going to say this. Oh, your name is so-and-so. <laughs> Very nice to meet you. Yes, I'm going to do this. You're going to do this. Da, 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 da. Now let's get the show on the road. I mean, it was it was very fun and energetic that way. And there was a lot more humor in this film than I thought there would be from the trailers. Right, um, and it was always which, lots of fun whenever he would uh, repeat the day to overcome one obstacle that had killed him the day before, yes. only to be immediately killed by another obstacle. And you'd see that m- sort of moment of realization in his face, and then he wakes up, oh, well, there's another thing to add to the list. <laughs> yeah, and he had kind of memorized uh, how the steps it would take and, and where the where the gotchas were and where the catches were. And, and in, in some ways, I suppose that probably made him reckless because like, he knew he was just going to wake up and he had another chance to do it, although – you know, I suppose the pain of dying might be a deterrent. <laughs> right. Just a little bit. You know, getting crunched under the wheels of a truck. Which, speaking of which, I, I you know, they could have easily, you know, because he, 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 Rita says to him, find me when you wake up. Basically, tell me what's going on. Let's start over. Let's reset this and let's do it right. And, and then, you know, they could have cut to him, you know, basically escaping on the first try from, from the platoon he's in or the, the squad that he's in. And, and and catching up with her. But instead, as he rolls under the truck, the camera kind of doesn't follow him and you hear crunching and, you know, and then all of a sudden the day's reset. I mean, little touches like that. I mean, they, they really, I thought, put a lot of polish and in thinking into that. Like, you know, yeah. just throwing those little fun moments in there. I mean, I suppose it's not a good thing to say that getting crunched by a truck was fun. But in, <laughs> in this context, in this context, I think it worked well. Yeah, and uh, I think a really good uh, representation of the comedy that we see in this film that happens during the training montage. Uh, I hate saying that outside of a Rocky movie, but uh, <laughs> that, that's what it is. It's it's a training montage with him and Emily Blunt 
uh, Emily Blunt's character and, oh, looks like we need to start over. And there's a scene where he breaks his leg and, oh, well, looks like your leg's broken. Time to start over. And the whole time he's trying to fight. No, 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 I'm good. I'll stand just right up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And she was so cavalier about that, too, you know, because she'd been I mean, the implication is that the reason she's such a good soldier and the reason she's so well trained is because she lived that same day hundreds and hundreds of times. Right. Until finally somebody took her blood and uh, the, the the power of the of the looping uh, is in the blood. Um, so that, yeah. and that was uh, yeah, that was a very uh, yeah, I, I loved her cavalier approach to that, too. It's just like, you know, it's time to reset, you know, come tell me what's <laughs> going on again. Right. <laughs> you know what else I loved about the way they handled this is um, they, you know, they didn't feel the need to make sure that we saw the first time they ever advanced to a certain point. Like we get to a point and it's the first time we as an audience have been to the specific point. Um, the one I'm thinking of, although it happened several times, but we get to the specific point where they've, they've got the vehicles and the vehicle has run out of fuel and they're in, they're in the old farmhouse looking for, you know, fuel or whatever. And they find a helicopter and, uh, you know, he's he's not telling her he has the keys, right? He knows where the keys are. He's been here a hundred times. We don't even know yet that he's been here a hundred times. Right. Or 50 times or however many times it was. We don't, we, it's unclear. But um, so he's kind of, eh, just hang on, hang on. Let's just let's sit down and we'll, we'll take a break and, you know, here, have some coffee. <laughs> have some coffee. There's some coffee <laughs> over here, you know, and that's when you start to get the idea. When he says there's coffee over here, this thing is over here, and oh, there's the sugar over here, and there should be a sugar that because you're like, oh, he's been here before, but we haven't. That's weird, Right. right. And then, and then, uh, you know, he's, she starts to figure it out when he says, oh, wait, no, no, you like three sugars, you know? And, uh, she's like, how many times have we been here? You know? <laughs> and, uh, that's when we find out, oh, wow, they've, they've advanced to this point, And every time they get to this point, she doesn't make it past this point. I, I right. mean, I really, really liked the way they did that. Yeah. That, that scene was also a really good. Well, it was a really good reveal. It was sort of twist in the cogs, you know? Yes. Like, oh, how many times has he been here? The, it, it, they slowed down the film for a moment only to throw that in our faces. And then there was this really great intimate moment where, um, I, I mean, just between Emily Blunt and Tom Cruise, I don't want to spoil too much until we ring the bell. But uh, yeah, that that scene has a really great intimate moment between the two. It was, uh, it was they did a really good job of knowing when was appropriate to slow down enough to have a really human moment and then jump back into the action without making any of it feel disjunct, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I, I really did appreciate that too. You know, some people said, Oh, you know, they, they, you know, cause at the end, toward the end of the film, they share a kiss and they, they hadn't up to that point. And, and you like, uh, some people I heard complaining about it, like, you know, on a, on a particular <laughs> podcast I listened to, like, Oh, they had to go there. It wasn't romantic up to that point. And I'm going, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Did we watch the same movie? This whole movie <laughs> is about Tom Cruise and unrequited love. I mean, because he remembers everything and he repeats the day hundreds and hundreds of times. And, and, and as far as I can tell, like he went, you, you were talking about, um, you know, probably over a year of him looping the same day, yeah. you know, because they talk, you know, because if you start adding things up, he's, you know, so he's getting to know this woman and every time it resets, she doesn't know him at all. And, and so he comes to love her and we don't know. I mean, there's hints that she could maybe love him back, but she's just is not given that opportunity. And that's really kind of a love tragedy. And I, I really actually liked that about this film. Yeah. 
So, and and I did appreciate the kiss that they shared toward the very end of the film. And it, it's not like they ever really overplayed it. I, I mean, they they went there, they they said, "Oh, here it is," and then you know they moved on. Um, so I, I really I really enjoyed that aspect of the film. Yeah. Um... I've, I mean, I've pretty much said everything I like. Um, what did you think about the ending, TJ? I know if anybody, I, lots of people seem to have complaints about the ending, if anything. Yeah. Are we ready to ring the spoiler bell? Have we talked about yes. all the good stuff? I think so. Let's let's go ahead and say spoilers from this point forward. Uh, in order to talk about the end, we have to do that. So, okay. so yeah, this is spoiler territory. Um, it, there are a lot of people complaining about the end of the film, and a lot of people are saying it reeks of studio interference, and there is a good reason that people are saying that. Although I, I really feel like they're saying that uh, because they know it, because it, um, basically the ending was re- reworked and reshot. We, we don't know exactly, or I don't know exactly why. They, they may have said why. I don't know exactly why. I don't know what the original ending really was exactly. We just know uh-huh. um, my the rumor is that... Um, both characters died, and that was the end. And, and they saved the, you know, they saved everybody and saved everything. But but both of our primary characters were dead. Um, I I would have found that very depressing. I like film stories that end well. I don't mind tragic endings as long as there's also a balance of happiness to 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 bring to bear. Like there's some uh, way in which everything, you know, where you know, not everybody has to live. I would have been okay if one of the characters had died and one had lived. Um, but, but, but so the original ending was that both would die. So in this ending, in the ending that the film actually has now, time is reset, uh, when he kills the Omega, uh, I guess we got to back up and, and, and make sure that people under, I mean, cause they're, you know, Chad, it's weird to me. There are people who listen to spoiler podcasts who haven't watched the movie. Uh, shame on you if you do that, but, um, (laughs) for, for you guys, uh, the idea is that there is an Omega controlling the time reset. And so the alpha of the species somehow taps into the power of the omega anytime he's killed. It's a little confusing, and that's one of my – it's like, eh, you could have done a little better in thinking that through. But so anytime an alpha is killed, he resets the day by one day, and he has now foreknowledge of what was to come and can uh, change the outcome. And the reason that Tom Cruise is able to get this power is because he got the blood of the Alpha on him. When he killed the Alpha, he took that Alpha's power to reset the day, and so he resets it every day. Um, So when he finally – you know, the grenades fall into the Omega without the pins, and it explodes, and he's drifting unconscious and pretty much dying and drowning uh, in the water, and then the Omega's – goo stuff that's spreading through the water because of the the grenades touches him and starts to kind of you know wrap around him and then the day resets i think what what the, the only thing that i have an issue here with here and and it's just a little bit strange is that the day resets to a point you know several hours before it was resetting before right so it's there's like there's no precedent for that that's very strange and um Initially, and when I wrote my review, I was still thinking this way, like how – so when time resets, the movie's not playing by its own rules because time resets. The Omega should still be alive because it hasn't been killed yet. So why are the aliens all dead now? Why are, why are they incapable – like like they said they were still there, but they were incapable of really doing anything is what I, the impression that I got. Uh-huh. Um, so so – but that hasn't happened because time is reset. So how does that work? Um, so Gabriel Green in the comments of my of my review is he says my theory on the ending is that when Tom Cruise killed the Alpha, it ceased to exist and he took its place in all subsequent time resets. 
um, I don't think we ever see it again. And likewise, when he killed the Omega, he was again able to hijack its power and reset time while it ceased to exist. That kind of makes sense to me, actually. Yeah. So job, I could Gabriel. go with that. They, um, they, they I, I don't think they explain that very clearly. But so, okay, so, so all that is to say, um, I don't have that much of a problem with the ending like a lot of people do. Yeah, I mean, if I did have a problem with the ending, it would just be where it was reset to. But um, that, right, that's my that, remaining I mean, thing. It that sort of, I mean, it's it's not that important of a detail, really. It's a little strange, but it's not a big deal. I think that if the characters had died, I mean, it wasn't the their relationship wasn't the whole point of the film, but a whole but lot of the film was dedicated dedicated to showing the relationship growing between these two characters. And if they just died, I mean, what what did we watch the movie for? Yeah, I, well, that's not entirely true because there's such thing as a tragic hero where, you know, or or heroes that 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 save the world but they themselves don't make it and that that happens. Right. I think that there are ways that it can work, but in most cases like Romeo and Juliet. I don't like Romeo and Juliet, but uh it sort of has a Romeo and Juliet feel if they had both died and I I don't yeah. I, I don't think I would like that. Yeah, I I do pre- I do prefer that they at least one of them lived and and both of them lived and and I really loved the cut to black where where it did you know went to the credits uh, yeah. where he walks out onto the floor and of course she doesn't remember anything because he's the only one that made it through the time reset and right. uh, you know he he was the one resetting time and so it only applied to him and I really loved that where basically it was almost the same conversation they had every time he walked out on the floor. Obviously the aliens are dead now. It's a little different. The urgency is a little different, but you know, she's, she's this person who has no idea who he is. And so you can kind of in your mind, take it anywhere you want. Well, yes, she, he, you know, he explains what happens. She had the same experience. So she believes him, you know, she, she at one time was looping through time herself when she had the, you know, Omega blood and, uh, or the, the alpha blood, whatever. Uh-huh. And so she can believe him and they can actually start to form a bond in a relationship now or not. You know, they both go their separate ways. You can you, you, it's kind of left to your imagination. And I really like that. Yeah, me too. Uh, let's see. Other, There were a few other things that had problems with, uh, the, you know, you kind of forget about it as the movie goes on because it's such a fun and engaging and energetic movie. And, uh, right. you know, never leaves you too much time to think about things. But at the at the very outset, I was just a little like, okay, this guy is a PR guy. Yes, he's a major, but he's a PR guy. He's obviously not a battle a warrior. He's not trained for this. A, why were they sending him out on the front lines? I, you know, <laughs> even even though I know it was for like to capture the battle or whatever and, and, you know, film it or whatever, you know, it is that he needed to do. But still, it seemed a little odd that you would do that. And, yeah. and then And then B... Wait, so the general just gets away and he's just, you know, oh, the response to blackmail is I'm going to put you out on the front lines and you're going to die. And, you you know, I'm going to basically tell them you're a private and you de- you're a deserter. So they'll put you on the front lines and you die. Like, so the penalty for that is death. What? <laughs> I, I just didn't understand. Like, like, no, that didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it's funny that you list your other concern as being that because that was pretty much my only other really problem with this movie was the the start and the the the, uh, the reason to put him on the front line just really did not seem like a good reason by any rational explanation. Yeah. And, and there was a point in the movie at which I thought when, when they finally make it to the point where they're like uh, Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt's characters are both in back in the general's office and they've got him cornered, you know, and they've been through this enough and they, they, they keep hitting roadblocks and learn how to get around them in the next loop. And so they're uh-huh. there and, 
I thought like what was going to happen is, oh, he actually had some knowledge of what was going to happen or something or somehow he's tied into the plot. And that now it's going to make sense because he he's like, oh, oh, I believe you. Here's your thing. You know, here's the thing uh-huh. that you need from my cabinet. Uh, and, and I thought that it was going to somehow tie in. It turns out, well, that was just a ploy. He had already he'd already pressed some emergency button and they knew what was going on, you know, and, and were there to capture him or whatever. Right. And. So it ultimately just didn't make any sense to me. Like if they had gone some route with that, with, with the general, then I w- it would have made sense to me, but it didn't ultimately as it, as it is. Yeah. He was just being a jerk. Yeah. And, and it idiot. didn't make sense, but whatever. <laughs> not, not a very good commander. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so that was, uh, that, that was, I think the only other issue that I had, let me look over my list here. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I, you know, there are little quibbles like like the uh, the the black cloudy eyes thing. We never saw it until we needed to know that he lost his power, and so then all of a sudden he wakes up and he opens his eyes, and his eyes are cloudy black, and and then all of a sudden it just sort of fades away, and that's how we know right. he's lost his power. And we never established that we that's how we knew he had power is that he had black cloudy eyes. Well, when he jabbed the thing into his leg uh to to find the location of the omega his eyes went black there yeah i i suppose that's true but it was just kind of weird because we never established that before yeah yeah i don't know those those are really the only things that i really have to complain about and 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 like with any time travel movie you can probably nitpick it to death and i'm not going to do that because i enjoyed it a lot i mean you don't nitpick back to the future to death so no well i mean i i could tell you all the problems that back to the future has but i don't really care because i like the film so yeah what else you got um, well, that's pretty much everything for me. Excuse me. Um, I did want to mention that I really liked the creature design. Yeah. They, you I, know, they were different. They were different. They reminded me just a little, not a lot, but a little uh, occasionally I'd like, Oh man, this is kind of like Sentinels uh, from the matrix. Uh-huh. Just a little bit. But, um, hmm. for the most part, yeah, I, I completely agree. They were a very unique design. Now, some people were talking, and I, I don't know quite how I feel about this. It, it's because we're humans and we have heads, and so we kind of relate to, to people this way. They're complaining like the alien design was really cool, you know, and and and, and you know they just kind of were these mass blobs of tentacly things, and they, but then they had to give them heads, and it's just like, eh. oh, like, boohoo. Yeah, I I didn't mind that so much. No, um, yeah, not at all. I, I I'm ready for the next metal robot suit. Uh, movie to come out you know they they seem to be pretty popular yeah that that, <laughs> that was an element where i feel like you know we're with elysium they had kind of the same concept of a metal robot suit uh you know a guy kind of operating this metal robot suit um and Pacific Rim. yeah yes um although that's a little different that's you know little, op- operating big giant things but th- specifically this mechanical suit that that kind of bolts to you or in this case kind of clamps to you and then you know enhances you as a human but in like in like Elysium, I felt like it was kind of out of place, and it's like, ooh, this is big, you know, thing, and we're gonna make a big deal out of the suit, and look how cool it is. And like in this movie, it was like, yeah, there's a suit, and yeah, it's part of the movie, yeah. and it's a it, tool, and that's it. Yeah, exactly. So that it was really kind of in the right place, and I enjoyed it in that way. Yeah, I I'm just gonna stop by Metal Suits R Us to get my own. Oh, I did have one other thing. I don't think I talked about this in my review. Um, one other thing that bothered me is up to this point once uh once Emily Blunt's character Rita uh discovers that um that uh Bill Cage has the looping ability she basically trusts him and she's like oh i know what's going on here he's you know done this a 100 times and we're trying to figure this out together oh i i've got it we're going on 
But then we uh-huh. get to this point with the helicopter where she doesn't trust him anymore. Suddenly she wants to go. Do, he's like, every time we get here, you die. And she's like, well, I'm not going to do what you want to do. I'm not going to wait and see if there's another course of action. I'm just going to start the helicopter and, you know, I'm going to let things blow up and I'm going to die. Um, and, and that just seemed weird to me and out of character, like because she's trusted him up to this point. I, I don't I think it was an issue of trust. I think it was a dedication to the task at hand. I, I don't think that the way he explained it, it, it didn't sound like the helicopter went out the way it did every time that he lived that scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, just in this instance, maybe the way she approached it, the, the way things happened that time around is the, the helicopter blew up magnificently like that. Um, I, that. That's the way I saw it. Does that make sense? Uh, I guess my, my primary thing though is why wouldn't she trust him to say, Oh, we need to wait this out and find another way to do this. Well, it was already toward the end of the day. Um, and he had to be reset. Yeah, I guess I, I never, I I, see then they did differing lengths of time. I never got the impression that it had to be a day, but that he basically, it was just that he always reset to the same point. I don't know. I didn't get that impression. I could be wrong. I don't know. I thought I thought she said some point early on in the film that you have to make sure that you die. But I and I thought she said by a certain time. But no, uh, I think it was just that she said you if you get injured, make sure you die. Gotcha. I, I, that was my impression. Uh, again, people. Okay, you, maybe if people who've seen it, if they want to write in and you know info at moviebite.com or whatever and correct me, that's that's. But but that was the way I took it. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I could be wrong. So, yeah, overall, um, I really, really liked this film a lot. Now, we have to talk about this, Chad, um, and, and I want to get your input on this. I've been doing a lot of talking, it seems like, in this podcast. Uh, <laughs> I love the movie so much. But yeah. um, this film, yeah, technically it's based on a pre-existing um, thing, but it's not very well known. And uh-huh. um, it's kind of a Japanese, not really a comic book, but kind of a, a like a light novel. Um, uh-huh. and it's, it's based on that concept. And, but but by and large, what we have here is original thinking and kind of an original film that's never been done before. And, you know, all films have to be written anyway, right? So it, so we have this pretty much original material in, in the theaters, and it's not doing well. It's not doing well at all. What did I say the budget was? It had a, a $178 million budget. Total worldwide is only $146.4 million. Um, and it's just not doing well. What message are we sending to Hollywood here? What we're telling <laughs> Hollywood, Chad, is that what we want is more reboots and more prequels and more sequels and more do you know more stupid stuff. <laughs> That's what we're I, telling them. I don't. Well, I I get your point, TJ, but I also think that we're sending the message that we like book to film adaptations. And I do like book to film adaptations, but. Come on. I mean, I, I feel like this was a, a, a clever, uh, well-acted, um, you know, fun, uh, adventurous, and, and great film that deserves a lot more than what it's getting. Yeah, I mean, I think it was just released at a bad time. If it had come against any other film than The Fault in Our Stars, which has a very big fan following, mm-hmm. uh, they've been looking forward to that film for a long time because the book is so good. And I, I can attest to how good, great the book is. I haven't seen the film yet. Yeah. But um, when you have something that's that anticipated based on something so beloved, then of course it's going to make a lot of money. And uh, I don't know. I think if this film, you know, we were talking about last week about 
like February release films. I think this one could have done well maybe in February or March or some, one of those months that's not known for putting out good films. I think this would have been placed well there, you know? Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. It, it would be interesting to see February not be such a, a sinkhole of, of bad films. That would be fun. Yeah. Now I'm looking because at this. You, oh, go ahead. Because, you know, this weekend, uh, what comes out this week? How to Train Your Dragon 2. And you know Edge it's of Tomorrow gonna, is not going to edge no, out over that not either. It's, it's, so, no, I mean, if, if it is going to demolish it. I think that they just needed to... It needed a different release date. Yeah, it's unfortunate because movies, for better or for worse, they live or die by what they make on the first weekend. Typically, sometimes maybe yeah. two, you know, two weekends you can kind of take that in. But yeah, I I feel like this movie's going to lose steam pretty quickly. Unfortunately, unfortunately, yeah. I'm looking you at know, this. And I'm, <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm almost willing to bet that Jupiter Ascending, even though we we sort of see the pushback as a bad thing it's probably still going to make a lot of money because of where it's placed in the film lineup. Yeah. And I sure hope it's a good film, you know, yeah. but so I'm looking at the stats for the fault in our stars and it's only made 75 million worldwide. Uh, 17. Well, what was its budget? Uh, its budget was 12 million and it's made much more domestically. 58.1 million right. is what it made domestically. And I just, I think maybe the release market in overseas is not as big is the reason it's not, it hasn't made as much. Uh, because yeah. the overseas for overseas for uh, uh, for Edge of Tomorrow is certainly um, much higher, uh, you know, proportionally. And right. uh, this film's over foreign is is uh, seventeen million. Uh, the Fault in Our Stars uh, is seventeen million. So so there's definitely a big gap there. And in 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 the states, you know, the by and large, I think you're right. The the typical moving go movie going populace, which I think trends younger, um, is more interested in The Fault in Our Stars. I I am interested in it. To an extent, but certainly not more than the edge, not more than Edge of Tomorrow. Right. So. I mean, I, I still haven't seen The Fault in Our Stars. So I'm sort of waiting to maybe see it with my cousin who's read the book, I think. But um, yeah, and it's scheduled for you and me to review it uh, on June the 24th. Yeah, because I want to see I want to see How to Train Your Dragon before I see The Fault in Your Stars. Right. Yeah, unfortunately, with Jupiter, Jupiter Ascending being bumped off, uh, that kind of puts a, a weird. Uh, a weird thing in our uh, in our upcoming film schedule. <laughs> I don't know. There's uh, Transformers: Age of Extinction. There's Earth to Echo, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. I don't know. We, we may I may have to force myself to watch Transformers or something, or <laughs> or maybe we'll review an older film. <laughs> maybe, but you won't be with us in the month of July, so it won't matter. Right. Anyway, and so I won't be here next week. So yeah, you just yeah, it's crazy. Um, Anyway, so so let's let's wrap up on our final thoughts for Edge of Tomorrow. What what have you got for us to to wrap things up, Chad? It is great. Tom Cruise is fun. Emily Blunt is great. Four and a half stars. Oh, nice. Four and a half. Okay. Yeah. So what what remind me what you rated uh, Captain America the first uh, the Winter Soldier? I think I also gave it four and a half. Let me double check on that real quick. I've so got my film journal with me right here. You would rate this film the same. Did you yeah. did you like this film as much? Do you, you you consider it on the same level? Yeah, I think pretty close at least. Okay. Is um, that a bad thing, TJ? Not necessarily. I'm just I'm just, <laughs> I'm just trying to figure it out. Uh, no no condemnation. I'm just I'm just making sure I understand. Yes. Well, while you're looking that up, um, oh, I did look it up. It's I gave it four and a half. Okay, so same level. Okay, so I'm giving this film four out of five stars. Um. And and as I mentioned earlier, this made me go back and rethink uh, finally. And I've been I've been thinking about this for a while. Thinking I don't think I rated Winter Soldier highly enough. 
<laughs> um, in retrospect and as I look back on it. And it's one of those movies, I think I mentioned this when we reviewed The Winter Soldier, where it's like, at first I wasn't sure if I liked it, which means I probably did. But it's just like there's so much to think about. And even the more I think about it, the more I think it was a brilliant film, uh, well done and you know perfectly timed and, and, and very politically savvy. As I, I mentioned all these things in the review. None of those have changed. It's just that my, my thoughts of it have, have continued to be elevated and I wanted to see it again. I meant to see it again in the theaters and I just haven't had a chance because, you know, time. Um, yeah. but, I saw it um, again a couple weeks ago. Ah, you lucky dog. So anyway, four and a half out of five stars for Captain America, the Winter Soldier, lets me put this film where I feel like it belongs at four out of five, which is really, really good for me, just not quite as good as Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Um, <laughs> so and as and as Fizz will likely point out, because I know that he listens to this podcast and he will he will email me if I don't point it out that, yes, I would consider Robocop to be as, you know, on the same level as this film at four out of five stars. Uh, well, at least you've put Captain America above it. Though. Yes, and he is. He'll, he'll, he'll find joy in that. He has found a little joy in that. On I mentioned, <laughs> I, I mentioned this last night on Facebook as I was writing my review of of Edge of Tomorrow. I said this has made me reconsider. It's forced me to finally come to grips and and you know, uh, kind of do this thing. So so, uh, getting back to Edge of Tomorrow, four out of five stars. Wonderful film. Um, very very happy with this film. Um, and you know. Really, really happy with the acting in this film by our two primaries. Um, Bill Paxton was in this film. I forgot to mention him, who uh, I only know from uh, the TV show Shield, which he did a good job in. Uh, and I, I loved him here, although you know he's kind of a uh, <laughs> kind of an unlikable character. Yeah, but um, but but fun and funny. I didn't sure. recognize him to be honest. Oh yeah, that was Bill Paxton. Yeah, I knew he was familiar. I didn't. I didn't recognize him necessarily. I just knew he was very familiar, and then I looked him up after the film was over because I do not get my phone out during the movie. Um, Me neither. So anyway, um, uh, that's not entirely true. If I feel a buzz, I will, you know, very gently lift it up and make sure there's no emergency at home, and I keep the brightness all the way down. I just kind of lift it up, look at it, and then put it away. And and that's only if like I'm not like intense into the film at the very moment. Anyway, just full <laughs> full disclosure. Full disclosure. Um. IMDb rates this film 8.2 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes, uh, it has fallen since I've written my review. It was at 90%. It's at 89% on the tomato meter, which is nothing to sneeze at. It's being very highly praised. Um, yeah. And uh, very happy with this film. So, yeah, that's that's my bottom line, and I think you've gotten your bottom line out there. So make sure you get out and see this film. Uh, I, would, I wish we could send the message that we want more like this, please. Yes. Lots so, of these. Yeah, we want more like this. All right, well, as I mentioned, next week we're going to be reviewing How to Train Your Dragon 2. That will be me and Clark Douglas. Uh, we'll be talking about that because, sadly, Chad will not be with us. He's he's slacking off again. He's <laughs> he, he, you know he's, he's probably going to take a nap or whatever. Yeah, um, probably. But uh, so be, me and Clark, I'll be coming to you from a different location. I'll have my a portable mic with me because uh, I'll be actually technically on vacation. I won't be doing any work that week. Ha, ha, ha. Um, <laughs> I'll probably be doing some, you know, some movie bite stuff on the site or whatever uh, where will you be vacationing to uh, well this this is one of two vacations i'm taking this year uh this one is um mostly we're going uh to peoria to visit uh rachel's family my wife's family uh Mm -hmm. her her sister just had a baby and want to get up there and see him and you know hang out with grandma and grandpa and you know they want to they want to see the kids and all that stuff so we're going to do that but it is also the week of our uh ninth anniversary uh my wife and i have been married nine years so Additionally, we're going to use the built-in babysitters of grandma and grandpa and <laughs> aunt and uncle to get away for a couple of days and celebrate our uh, ninth anniversary. So 
Sounds we're good. taking a side trip. Uh, going to go up to Chicago and do some sight, sightseeing and stuff. So, Cool. I will be flying to Florida on Saturday, and then Sunday I hop on a cruise for a week. A cruise? Yes. Wait, I'm the one having a ninth anniversary here, and you're going on a cruise? <laughs> well, to be fair, this year is my grandparents' 50th anniversary, oh, nice. and that is what this cruise is celebrating. Very nice. Yes. All right. Well, uh, so that'll be me and Clark next week, and uh, I'll be coming to you from Peoria. Uh, and uh, Clark will probably be coming to us from uh, Georgia, as he yes. usually does. And I'll make sure to let you know how much I like How to Train Your Dragon 2, so you can mention it on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a chance to talk about it when we, <laughs> when we do the next podcast. I'll, I'll give you that opportunity. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Chad, where can people keep up with you online? Okay, you can find my movie site at chadlikesmovies.com. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And then on twitter.com at twitter.com slash chadadada, C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. <laughs> and you're typing it out in the doc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it helps to make sure I put the right amount of D-A-D-A-D-A's. Yeah. Um, and you can find me on Twitter. That's uh, where uh, you're most likely to want to keep up with me on the social media. I am TJ Draper Pro, so you can keep up with me there. Um, you can uh, keep up with my work and my writing on moviebyte.com. That's M-O-V-I-E-B-Y-T-E dot com. If you want to uh, catch the show notes for this episode where I'll put a link to all the things we talked about, links to the IMDb page and the Rotten Tomatoes page and Box Office Mojo, and then all the stuff we talked about at the beginning of the film, you can do that at moviebyte.com slash MB podcast slash 92. Did I say beginning of the film? I meant beginning of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where you'll find the show notes for this episode. Um, additionally, if you want to uh, communicate with us, uh, there's a couple of different ways you can do that. You can go to that just same link that I just mentioned, scroll down below the show notes, and right there will be a comment form. There will be a blinking cursor right there if you click in that field, and you can just type to your heart's content, and I get notifications for every comment that's posted on Movie Byte, and so we'll be sure to interact with you there. Or you can send us an email at info at moviebyte.com. I will get that. Um, or you can use the contact form on the MovieByte page. So there's lots of options for you to get in contact with us, and we'd love to hear from our listeners and get feedback on to what as to what you're thinking about the things that we talk about. So be sure to do that. Um, additionally, go to iTunes and give us a rating. That would really help us out. And uh, it shows us that you love us. Because we really we just want to feel loved, Chad. That's what we want. We, of course. Everybody in life just needs to feel loved. That's what that's all there is to it. <laughs> So give us some love in that way. Share, share this episode with your friends and your family and your loved ones and, and spread the joy. Your neighbor's dog. Yes, exactly. Well, that's it for us this week. We're done with the goofiness, and uh, we will see <laughs> you next week. Chad, it was, it was fun. It was. All right. Talk to you next week. See ya. Bye.